1744-45, Emanuel Swedenborg underwent a change in his spirit, in which he gained open communication and awareness of the spiritual world. All the while, he continued his life and work for the Swedish Board of Mines like before, but now he also interacted with spirits and angels. Like a fish becoming conscious of the water it swims in, only the water talks back and has a will of its own. Swedenborg encountered spirits of every sort, kind, wise, or manipulative, power-hungry, and rageful. A reliance on God was the hull of Swedenborg's boat for this journey, and the study of the Bible was the sail. But how was he to root through these uncharted waters? The Lord's Prayer was his rudder, and he kept his hand held fast on the tiller. We're going to take you on a journey of Swedenborg's use of the Lord's Prayer as a means of centering, of connection to heaven, and of discerning the natures of spirits. But how was the Lord's Prayer this powerful of a tool for him? And can it be as powerful for us? Well, I'll let Swedenborg take the story from here. Once I woke up just after first light. I went out into the garden in front of my house and watched the sun rising in its splendor. It shone as though it was made of gold. Beneath the sun's rim, I saw a cloud rising up, gleaming like a ruby. Taking great pleasure in these sights, I came into my spirit. At once, I heard some spirits in a discussion. I would love an opportunity to talk with that innovator who has tossed an apple of discord among the leaders of the church. Who does he think he is to say the Father and the Lord's Prayer is one and the same with the Lord the Redeemer? Yes, it is something genuinely schismatic that no one has thought of before. Schismatic? It's heretical. Be quiet! It isn't heretical. He clearly grounds his point in scripture. Hearing all this, I went to them in my spirit and said, Here I am. What's your concern? Here's the man. I'll tell you my concern. The Lord's Prayer says, Our Father, who is in heaven, your name must be kept holy, your kingdom must come. Therefore, we should turn to God the Father. Yes, stated is obviously the truth. Well, if you think that's the case, what do you make of Jesus' own statement that I and the Father are one, and all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me? How then can we do To settle the dispute, I demonstrated that it is impossible for us to turn to God the Father in his divinity, but we can turn to him in his humanity. Because the divine nature and the human nature together constitute one person, the Lord is the Father mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. Today we're going to be digging into the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at its connection to the spiritual world, mm. how we can use it as a tool, mm. and the significance of its structure. Mm. And as we just saw, Swedenborg had some radical ideas about the Lord's Prayer. Radical enough that even spirits got upset about it. Yeah, he really got them going. And the Lord's Prayer 
meant a lot to Swedenborg, right? He wrote about it having this amazing structure and substance and power. And part of that power is the understanding of who you're praying to, the divine human one who's the center point of the whole thing. Yes, that's just what the spirits in the intro mm. were getting at. Swedenborg has this, for them and for us, mind-bending assertion that the divine human one is the Father mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. So how does he untangle that? Yeah, well, Swedenborg writes that the Father, the term Father used in the prayer, means the divine nature. It's a correspondence, actually. Right. And the Father refers to the underlying divine reality, the divine, this sort of unknowable divine love. And then the name, your name must be kept holy. Well, a name represents the quality of something. So that's how we know this love and reality. That's the divine truth, and that's in human form. So you have the substance there, the unknowable substance, and then the form in which it manifests. And that view was groundbreaking stuff that really upset some people. It was going against the grain of Christian theology in his day. The reason is that people really believed in a trinity of separate persons in the Godhead. And if you're going to have three persons in the Godhead, yeah. the Father can't be the name of Jesus. The, the, the Father's the name of the not Jesus person in the Godhead. <laughs> you're totally flipping it on his head. But Swedenborg wrote that having that understanding of God, this unified understanding, is like nuclear fusion in the sun. Mm. It has this enormous power. And Swedenborg says it has particular power when you understand it this way in the prayer specifically. We're mm. going to take a look at a number from Invitation to the New Church. Mm. But people may not be familiar with it. What is Invitation to the New Church? Well, that was an interesting manuscript that Swedenborg left on his desk at the very time that he died. Mm. And so it was incomplete, and people have taken it and published it later. And it is literally an invitation to this vision that he had of a new spiritual era that he called the new church. So here's starting in number 37. The whole of the Lord's Prayer from beginning to end concerns this time. Mm. That is the time when God the Father will be worshipped in human form. This appears when this prayer is rightly explained. The Lord cannot enlighten anyone with his light unless he is approached directly and acknowledged as the God of heaven. Yeah, Swedenborg says that when you have that divine human one in your mind, you have the clearest access to divine love itself. I mean, how else would you, how do you picture divine love? You think, well, is it the sun? Can you give the sun and the sky a, a hug? Uh, you know, that, that might be painful. Yeah. Uh, but a human being, absolutely, you can hug a human being. And connect with that. That is both powerful and accessible. But how do we know this human doesn't really hinge on knowing what Jesus looked like? No, right. it's about the qualities that he embodied. Here's how Swedenborg puts it in a passage shortly after the one we just read in Invitation to the New Church. In the spiritual world, we know others, not by their name alone, but from some idea of their quality. This idea causes the other person to become present and be recognized. In fact, spirits are nothing other than their own quality. From all this then, it is clear that none of us has the Lord present with us unless we know His quality because uh -huh. He's in the spiritual world. This quality is something that the truths of the Word reveal. So don't, don't panic, or there's a way of finding we, out. We got access. Every truth in the Word is a mirror, I love this idea, giving us a particular image 
of the Lord. It's like this one's a little, yeah. you can, this little keyhole you can see in here. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's another one. You catch another glimpse yeah. of, of the Lord inside. After all, as he says, he is the word itself and the truth itself. Okay, so we're starting to build this foundation for understanding the prayer, and we know that it all centers on the Lord. But maybe it'd be good at this point in the episode to actually spell out which prayer we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that, that would be good. Okay, here it is. Our Father in the heavens, your name must be kept sacred. Your kingdom must come. Your will must be done. As in heaven, so also on the earth. Give us our daily bread today, and forgive us our debts, as we too forgive our debtors. And do not put us to the test, but free us from the evil one, because the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever. So there it is. And some of you may have noticed that this is not necessarily a translation you're familiar with. Why did we go with that version? Mm, that ain't your mama's prayer. Mm -mm. Well, the New Century Edition translations of Swedenborg's works are taking his Latin and putting it into modern, fresh, accessible English. And so Swedenborg talks about the Lord's Prayer a lot. So we took the English translations of his Latin. Now you say, well, his Latin is a translation of the Greek and Hebrew of the yeah. original. Aren't we going a little whisper down the lane? But on the other hand, Swedenborg has this spiritual insight, so yeah. maybe his wording helps us. And in any case, I think it's valuable to, you know, tangle with a different wording. Sometimes you get so used to it, you say it so many times that, that you sort of go numb to it. Yeah. So I think the different wording can shake us up a little bit. It makes you think about what the meaning, what it's actually saying, and kind of a nice, maybe a center point to, for all these different translations people are familiar with that we can kind of focus on together. Yeah, and there's another little textual point I'd like to make, which is that uh, there's that part of the prayer at the end about the kingdom, the glory, the power. Yeah. Uh, that's often referred to as the doxology. Now, in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, that's not there. It comes in later in the manuscript huh. history. And so some religious traditions today don't say that part. They really, well, well, wait a minute, that wasn't really originally part of the prayer. But in Swedenborg's day, it was part of the prayer that he understood. He even explains the inner meaning of some elements in it. And it was in the Swedish Bible as well as the Latin one that he studied. Okay, so don't, to all of you there, as we get into exploring this, don't worry if this isn't the exact version of the prayer you're used to. What Swedenborg asserts is that there is this amazing power in the prayer that's deeper than the particulars of the words on the surface. Now, what do I mean that there's this amazing power in the prayer? Isn't it just a handful of poetic words? Well, if you're new to Swedenborg, something you're going to come across pretty quick is that the Bible, even though, yes, it's handed down to us through hundreds of years, is written in such a way that it actually contains a foundation for heaven. And it contains layers of meaning based on correspondences. So the literal words in it are like these vessels that can open up to spiritual wisdom. So the prayer that Jesus taught is in the same way, it's in addition to being, it is beautiful and poetic, but it's also like a multi-tool, like a Leatherman or a Swiss Army knife. So I don't know what your background is with a prayer. You might think the prayer is, is like an obligation. This is what I say to show that I like God or that I'm loyal to God or some kind of verbal contract. 
But I'm going to put it to you that just like this one Leatherman can be used as pliers or a knife and scissors, a screwdriver, even a nail file, the prayer has not one or two, but at least six, that we found in our research, probably more, uses for your spirit. So first, Swedenborg describes how he would say the prayer and innumerable heavenly ideas would flow into his mind. And this is not just particular to Swedenborg. This is available to all of us. This inflow can be, you get specific ideas, but you could also just get this general feeling. In any case, it's a very deep access to heaven. He describes it here. Whenever I said the prayer, my thoughts opened up toward heaven and countless ideas flowed in. As a result, I noticed plainly that the ideas I gleaned from the contents of the prayer were filled in from heaven. Some of what was poured in was by nature incapable of being verbalized, and some was beyond my comprehension so that I merely sensed the resulting general emotion. Surprisingly, the inflowing thoughts and feelings were different every day. All this enabled me to see the following. The contents of the Lord's Prayer hold more than all heaven is capable of understanding. The more we open our mind toward heaven, the more the prayer holds for us, and conversely, the more we close our mind, the less it holds. In people with closed minds, nothing more is visible in the prayer than the literal meaning or the meaning closest to the words. So not only does it have this general inflow from heaven into it, but our second use for it is that reciting the prayer also brings about intuitions about your personal life, as well as the third use, what Swedenborg described as a sensation of being raised up to the Lord in his spirit. He writes, whenever I have read the Lord's prayer, I have had a clear sensation of being raised up toward him by a sort of magnetism. My mind was then receptive, which brought about contact with certain communities in heaven. I was aware of the Lord's inflow into every word of the prayer, and therefore into every single thought that sparked in my mind by the prayer's message. This inflow did not occur the same way one time as another, but in indescribably varied ways, which showed how infinite the contents of each detail was. It also showed that the Lord was present in all the details. So that's pretty cool. And the Lord seems to be able to use our saying the prayer as an avenue to give us these specific personalized thoughts about our own life, even though we're all saying the same prayer. So it's connected to heaven. It can be a conduit of personal support. It draws us toward the Lord. And four, Swedenborg also writes of it being a means to him getting insights on specific theological questions that he had. So here's three experiences that he journaled about. He writes, the Lord is in no wise the cause of evil, and consequently does not drive away evil by means of evil, but he wipes out evil by means of goodness. These thoughts were given to me in the Lord's prayer while I was praying it today. And he goes on, what leads us not into temptation means. In the inward sense it means, may the Lord not abandon us, or may he not slacken his divine power. These meanings I learned while praying the Lord's prayer. And then finally, in praying the Lord's Prayer, my hands were folded and unfolded by a manifest force. Moreover, the words were elevated, as it were, and intuitions of the things contained therein were infused. And with that last one, Swedenborg gives a cross-reference to it from another spiritual experience, which gives it more context. So in this other number, Swedenborg is writing about feeling bound and attacked by spirits with him who wanted to keep him from thinking higher wisdom about what he was reading in the Word. 
So to counter this at spiritual attack, it seems he prayed the Lord's Prayer, and those same spirits are the ones who tried to interrupt his praying by trying to unfold his hands, like, sort of like in The Simpsons when Marge is doing that to Bart. But at the same time, his thoughts were finally uplifted and these higher intuitions were infused. So if I were you, I might be thinking, okay, so you're saying this is all available to us, but how? Is it one of those, I had to rub my head, pat the stomach, hop on one foot while saying the prayer to align with it, right? Well, actually, it's much simpler than that. What it really comes down to is just having humility and an open mind. Curtis is right. You don't have to say the prayer a certain way to connect to the power in it. But there are some pointers we can draw from Swedenborg that might help us. This might sound counterintuitive, but... One element Swedenborg learned the hard way was that thinking too hard while saying the prayer can actually inhibit the inflow we might otherwise be opened up to. For background about the spiritual network our minds and spirits exist in and how it works, see our past shows, The Angels and Evil Spirits With Us, and How to Travel in the Afterlife. Now a quote from Spiritual Experiences. Sometimes when I was paying less attention to the words of the Lord's Prayer, the angels, I was told, understood them more fully, as they also did when I was reading in the word of the Lord, because the way was opened. Although this seemed strange to me, I nevertheless learned from experience that it was true, and also from the fact that spirits who are far away from me hear and understand better when I would be thinking silently. For my thinking, which is filled with diverse mental images, hindered the subject from being carried over well. Swedenborg could tell that his own cluttered thoughts actually made it harder for spirits far from him to be able to hear him. At the same time, simply paying attention to the literal level of meaning can be valuable in itself. It creates a vessel. We can have an awareness that the prayer contains deeper meanings while just simply saying the words and seeing what comes. It still connects us to angels. Now, it might seem confusing that on the one hand, we should try to be aware of deeper meaning in the prayer, and on the other hand, not think too hard about it. But it seems that the biggest problem would be to have false ideas that actually oppose the heavenly meaning and the love contained in it. Another quote, when the Lord's Prayer is being prayed, in each single idea understood simply by the person, and sometimes according to the words and thus the human picture they convey, angels understand what is said inwardly, very inwardly, and inmostly. The main thing you're doing when you're saying the Lord's Prayer is creating a container in the mind to humbly receive inflow from the Lord. Swedenborg says, this is even how people in the afterlife pray. I was shown how they pray in the other life, as is usually done, while saying the Lord's Prayer, during which their understanding was communicated to me. It was simple, hardly beyond the bare meaning of the words, yet it was not closed up as with others, but still soft, able to be opened up, and therefore understandable to the angels, as though each mental image, albeit in the bare meaning of the words, could serve as a container. Swedenborg even had the experience of praying with a certain spirit and realizing that even though the spirit prayed with simple belief, grasping no more than the literal meaning of the words, his inward regions were opened immediately to heaven. So in summary, Saying the Lord's Prayer with humble openness can connect us not only with God, but also with a whole network of angels and good spirits. We can be praying along with them and helping each other open up to deeper influences from the Lord. Since Swedenborg was able to see the angels and spirits he was connected to, 
He also found that saying the Lord's Prayer could help him learn about these spiritual companions. But I'll let Jonathan tell you more about that. Now we have two more abilities or uses of the prayer to go through. If the four we've already covered haven't blown your mind, the fifth one really might. There are numerous accounts in Swedenborg's works of him using the activity of saying the Lord's Prayer as a way to reveal the quality of the spirits around him. Sometimes the spirits say the prayer with him. Sometimes he says the prayer and the spirits react in some way. But in any case, it seems that the prayer is capable of revealing spirits' natures. In this passage from Secrets of Heaven, Swedenborg begins with a description of certain spirits that were with him. Their nature I was able to learn about from their speech since they talked with me. They did not trust their own thinking much any more than they had in the world. So they did not narrow down to any definite opinion on sacred subjects, but depended on others' beliefs without challenging the validity of those beliefs. I picture these spirits being like, okay, whatever, you know, about what people say if they have a strong opinion. This character of theirs was also demonstrated to me when their perceptions flowed into the Lord's Prayer as I was reading it. What does that mean, their perceptions flowed in? I could always tell what the various spirits and angels were like from the Lord's Prayer by noticing the influence their thoughts and feelings exerted on the content of the prayer. What's he talking about? So the spirit's thoughts and feelings would affect Swedenborg's sense of what was lying within the meaning of the prayer. So I perceived that these spirits were the kind I have described. In another instance, the quality of the spirits around Swedenborg is revealed through the mental images the spirits have in response to Swedenborg saying the prayer. For it was once again portrayed to me what their thought was like, apparent also from other things, namely that they receive in simplicity what is being said, not particularly in an outer meaning nor in an inner one, but still in a way that enables the angels to extract inward mental images from it. This is how the spirits were whose thought was shown to me at the time when I prayed the Lord's Prayer. For the nature of any number of spirits and angels, here he makes a general statement, can be found out by the saying of the Lord's Prayer, that is, what kind of mental images they have at that time. Now, how do you get access to that? That's pretty special, but still, he's making general comments, isn't he? These have been portrayed to me now and then at such a time. So it's amazing that in both these examples, Swedenborg makes the point that this is not something special or unique to him, but it's simply a byproduct of saying the prayer. It's just what happens. It's in the nature of the prayer itself. Now, you and I may not see spirits. It's quite a leap, isn't it? You go to the spirits, and then you have to go to their mental images or something. We don't necessarily have access to that, but there's still things that we can get out of this, and that's why Swedenborg tells us this in this general way. Swedenborg also witnessed what life is like for children in heaven, you know, those who die young. And we cover this in our special episode, Children in Heaven. And he remarks on the very delicate quality children in heaven have in response to the prayer. I was also shown the nature of their delicate understanding. When I was saying the Lord's Prayer, 
and they were flowing into my concepts from their own comprehension. I noticed that their inflow was so delicate and gentle that it was almost nothing but a feeling. At the same time, I noted that their understanding had been opened to the Lord, for it was as though what was coming from them was flowing through them. In fact, the Lord flows into children's concepts primarily from the deepest ones. Nothing has closed these off, as happens with adults. No principles of falsity closing them off from true understanding. No life of evil closing them off from accepting what is good and thus from being wise. What an amazing quality. Swedenborg also learned through experience that some spirits would affect his own reciting of the prayer. It's amazing. He talks about this so much. While I was praying the Lord's Prayer, some were attracting all the meaning away from me to themselves so that I could not have the meaning and thus an inner sight of the contents of the prayer as at other times. So I had to pause as often in the beginning or in the middle of the prayer for those who attract the meaning to themselves want me to serve them as a slave or a tool and themselves to be the masters. Amazing. So Swedenborg was expecting a certain kind of response when he said the prayer, but the spirits are taking him off course there and he can't get the content he needs out of it because they're redirecting it to themselves. And therefore he's able to see, oh, these are self-centered spirits and they want to dominate me. So from all this, perhaps one takeaway is just to pay attention. We may not be able to see the mental images our angels and spirits are having, but we can still sense something. So we can try saying the Lord's Prayer sometime and without any judgment, simply observe what the quality of our experience is while saying it. Maybe even write that down. And then try the exercise of not assuming that that quality belongs to us as our own, but instead consider the possibility that the quality is in flowing from the spirits who are unseen with us. Because remember, Swedenborg wrote that the things we experience in our minds on a daily basis actually originate in the spiritual neighborhood we're in. And now we still have one last ability to cover. And for that, let's go to Curtis. Now for the final ability of the Lord's Prayer that we're covering in this episode anyway. This one is the perfect order of the prayer. You may be like, what kind of ability is perfect order. Well, another way to put it is the prayer's ability to mirror our life's journey. And not only mirrors it, but encapsulates the core stages of any spiritual growth cycle. Swedenborg wrote this, by the mercy, by the divine mercy, sorry, of God the Messiah, I was allowed to experience today while praying his prayer, the whole order was in it, or the meaning ascending and descending from outermost to innermost, so that in every least word, there is an idea of creation. And he writes further, all the individual parts of the prayer follow each other in a series that forms a kind of pillar widening from the top to the bottom, containing in its interiors the earlier parts in the series. The first part is at the core, and all the succeeding parts add themselves to the core one by one in order. That is what makes it widen. What is at the core reigns supreme in all the su surrounding layers or in all the individual parts because it provides the essential reality behind the existence of all the rest. So pretty cool, complex stuff. And so the parts of the prayer follow a perfect order and are in a series 
that builds on itself. There's something sacred in the way that it's laid out. Swedenborg is describing it like a cascade from top to bottom, expanding as it goes. It goes from talking about the Lord, then his will, then bread, then temptations, then evil at the bottom. But perhaps this series is more like the spiral of growth the Lord is always leading us on. And if it is, wouldn't the prayer need to encapsulate all the variations of our path, all the parts of our story? I think it's got to, but how? The Lord's Prayer contains such an order within it that is archetypal to the point of being inexhaustible and infinite wisdom. So to try to show it, let's shift our level down just a touch to another archetypal pattern that's more widely understood and does seem to capture the essence of a lot of different stories. I'm talking about, maybe you've heard of it, the hero's journey. First described by Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey, if you haven't heard of it, figures in all movies and every story arc you've ever experienced, pretty much. I mean, let's take a look first at what the hero's journey is and where it shows up. Our list is based on Christopher Vogler's version of Joseph Campbell's Steps for Narrative Writers. Okay, here we go. First, you have the protagonist start in the ordinary world. This is life as usual. It would be like Frodo Baggins loving his life in the Shire at the beginning of The Lord of the Rings. Then there's some kind of call to adventure the call to leave that ordinary world and embark on a journey. And also an initial, an initial refusal of that call. So this would be like Maria in The Sound of Music. She didn't want to leave the Abbey to become a governess because she had planned already to become a nun where she was. Next, we have the meeting with the mentor. This is where our protagonist somehow crosses paths with an individual who acts either as a guide or has some kind of important gift or some essential information to help the protagonist on the journey. Like Ebenezer Scrooge meets the ghost of Christmas past in Christmas Carol. Having had this encounter, the protagonist is now ready to commit to a new path and crosses the threshold into the new unknown world. Like Neo, our friend choosing to take the red pill and wake up from the matrix. So in this new world, the protagonist is met with tests, allies, and enemies. Think of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz having to find her friends, learn about the Wicked Witch, tackle a lot of challenges in there. But these escalating trials both challenge the protagonist, but also are a means of forwarding the protagonist toward some kind of transformation. And finally, there's the approach to the inmost cave, in which our protagonist has got to face some kind of even deeper challenge that requires all the wisdom of the previous trials. There, for example, Bertie in the King's Speech had to work to overcome a severe stuttering problem only to unexpectedly be called to become King George of England, which is a role that he didn't even want and didn't feel like he was ready for. This is the final preparation before the ordeal. The ordeal is a life or death crisis that stands between the protagonist and the final goal. Like Luke Skywalker, you, you may have heard of him in Star Wars, having to battle his arch enemy in order to defeat the Empire, but then finding out, spoiler alert, 40 years later, that the enemy is his own father. So overcoming in this ordeal, there comes what we could call the reward, the achievement of the quest, like the character Chuck in Castaway managing to survive for years on a deserted island and then finally being rescued. And after that, there's the road back, the choice to return back to the ordinary world. Think of John Nash in A Beautiful Mind, finding new ways to function in his work and home life despite having schizophrenia. And on this return journey, 
there comes what you could call the resurrection, which is a confrontation that tests our protagonist's newly transformed state, which also serves as a final cleansing and rebirth. Like when Ender, in the movie of Ender's Game, goes to the ruined castle in the end and meets the Formic Queen who gives him an egg with which he can restart the Formic Colony on a new planet deep in space. Having prevailed, the protagonist returns with the elixir. With this is the new wisdom and the ability that trans- the transformed protagonist can now offer to the world. Think of Woody in Toy Story ending up with a new friendship that enhances the lives of everybody at Andy's house, which is a cute note to end on and shows that it just goes across all genres and feels. This formula has been so successful in bringing us so many impactful stories, maybe because it gets at some kind of deeper truth. So judging by that ring of truth that it has, the hero's journey probably came from the same divine well of wisdom about our life's journey that's also encoded sorry, in the Lord's Prayer. The main difference would be that tens of thousands of scriptwriters have poured over every nuance of the hero's journey, but who's been looking at the Lord's Prayer in this light? Well, if no one else is going to, we will right now. So we gave you the breakdown of the hero's journey, but now here with Chelsea Odner, we're going to line it up with the parts of the Lord's Prayer and how each of those line up with the phases of spiritual cycles that we all go through in our own stories. Mm -hmm. So first we have to start in the ordinary world, which is life as we're used to it, right? Yeah, so in this cycle, in, in the Lord's Prayer, we first affirm, Our Father in the heavens, your name must be kept sacred. This is the beginning of our cycle. We believe in God and we just have some affirmation of God's existence or God's place in our life. Then we have the call to adventure and the initial refusal of the call. Your kingdom must come is the call to adventure because we're asking for God's kingdom to come. But the catch or refusal is that actually we just want our version of the kingdom to come. In other words, we hear the call on an intellectual level, but on an inward heart level, we refuse. We just want things to go our way. And then there's the meeting of the mentor. Meeting the mentor doesn't always involve an actual person, but it does always come on the heels of committing to the new horizon set before us. In the prayer, it's, your will must be done, as in heaven, so also on the earth. The shift here in our spiritual lives is us coming to recognize that asking for the Lord's kingdom to come means having the Lord's will be done. We've come to a more personal experience of God, or this is God as mentor. So having God's kingdom come means having God's will be done. Not just out there in heaven, like somewhere else, but in our lives, quote unquote, on earth. Then things really begin when we cross the threshold. In the prayer, it's give us our daily bread today. We've acknowledged the Lord's will, but here we realize it means having the Lord's will be done in our daily lives, like giving our lives to God. And daily, Swedenborg writes, means every moment And bread means everything we need for our spiritual lives. So we recognize that we need to let the Lord rule in the details. But that means things don't always go our way and that often they don't go how we expect them to go. So when we cross the threshold into a daily life of the Lord's will being done, what does that bring? In the hero's journey, it brings tests, allies, and enemies. In the prayer, this is, and forgive us our debts as we too forgive our debtors. This phrase has within it an acknowledgement that we have shortcomings. What was initially our outer confidence of, yeah, I want the Lord's will to be done, sure. It leads us to an inner recognition that we're actually works in progress. 
This process of the Lord's kingdom coming requires surrendering our will and recognizing that we can't control others either. So it brings us into a struggle between the inner and outer self. This struggle is designed ultimately to free us of our debts. Next, we have the approach to the inmost cave, which really gets us into the thick of things. Yeah, this is, and don't put us to the test. The struggle that has arisen leads us to temptation. Or another way to say this line in the prayer is, you don't lead us into temptation, but you do deliver us from evil, which means we just ultimately have evils arise in us, which brings on spiritual struggle on our path to heaven. But the Lord is guiding the whole process continually with nothing but divine goodness and mercy. In this part of the cycle, we enter spiritual crises that the Lord carefully guides in order to bring about the actual inversion of our spirit. Our inner self, rooted in heaven, finally gains the upper hand, and our outer self-will finally becomes subservient. And then the ordeal brings things to a head. The ordeal is the last part of the climax, and it ultimately leads to the reward. In the prayer, this is, but free us from the evil one. The Lord delivers us from our spiritual crisis. Truly, he's been leading the process the whole time. And it can seem like suffering for no reason, but the Lord is freeing us from evil through all of this. Every hardship is a means for the Lord to lead us further on our spiritual path. And then it's time for the road back. The road back can be matched with the kingdom is yours. We're humbled and having come through our spiritual crisis, we recognize the Lord's kingdom is real and we actually desire it at heart. We have now been transformed. After the road back is the resurrection. We've been transformed as we're facing life's challenges in a new way, as a new kind of person. Yep, we affirm God's power. The power is yours. We're now renewed in trust that the Lord really does have all power and guides our process unceasingly. So it's really this empowered state. We've been carried all along and now we want the Lord's power to have full rule in us. And finally, the return with elixir. We've come back from this cycle with spiritual gifts that we can keep. And the prayer ends and the glory is yours forever. With renewed trust and affirmation of the Lord's kingdom, we feel courageous to continue our journey. We see how our lives magnify the Lord's glory and how our path is really in the Lord's hands forever. Wow. So all together, the prayer takes us on this journey through like an entire spiritual growth cycle, mm -hmm. which makes sense because I think if God is going to write a prayer, it's got to be cool, but it also should capture all the essential elements of all storytelling. Yeah, the hero's journey is a pattern people see in myths and stories throughout history. And so there's just, there really is something about it that is deeply satisfying to our minds. Yeah. And I see it that this pattern comes from the divine design. And right. so any articulation of the Lord's, including the prayer itself, must reflect it. And in any case, it's just really cool to try our hand at doing this deep dive into what that might be. Wow, I'd never thought of the prayer that way before. That in itself gives it this level of cohesion and order that's really astounding. Yep, and that's just one of the six abilities that we've covered in this episode. We've t as a review, we've talked about how the prayer connects us to an inflow from heaven, mm -hmm. how it gives us customized wisdom for our personal spiritual lives, mm. how it can open us to this kind of spiritual magnetism that draws us to the Lord, and how it can enlighten us on spiritual questions and also how it's actually a litmus test of sorts to gain a sense of the quality of the spirits around us. 
And then lastly, how it has this perfect order within it that encapsulates our spiritual cycles and the story of our transformation. So we hope you've enjoyed our journey through a look, taking a look at the prayer. Hopefully that gives you some new ways to use it and to, to further explore it. But just because we're saying we think the prayer is so cool doesn't mean we're saying this is the only prayer that's legit. D don't ever say any yeah, other kind of prayer. That's right. We're just hoping this episode has given you more to think about and act on and discover for yourselves. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com. And we share all the content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. You can go to otle.causevox.com and follow the prompts to give a one-time or recurring donation. We'd be honored to have you become part of our growing community of supporters who help these ideas reach and nourish thousands of people every week around the globe. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. <laughs>